If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and, <clears throat> or you can follow along in the bulletin as well. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read, we're going to cover verses 3 to 11 this morning. Hebrews 12, 3 to 11, here it is. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to all who have been trained by it. This is God's word. Well, I'm, I'm excited to be with you and, and teach this message today. And if you're joining on Facebook, thanks for joining us. Um, kids either here or watching online, I have a question for you. How many of you, when you were disciplined, in the middle of it, thought it was great? Show by hands, please. I didn't think so, right? I didn't, I didn't expect to see a single hand raised. But you knew it was good, right? If your parents disciplined you well and they sat down and talked with you, they expressed their love for you and how this is good for you. Discipline is painful, but it's good. And when it's done right, it's done in love. Well, this passage teaches us that God is faithful to discipline his children. God is faithful to discipline his children and it too is painful, but it's good. And it's done in faithfulness, and it's done in love. And God's aim in our discipline should not surprise us. It is for our endurance. That's been a theme we've been talking about, right? Hebrews 11, the beginning of chapter 12, it's all about endurance. These saints were suffering. They were going through hardship. And God wanted to give them all the resources they need to endure to the end, to persevere all the way to the end, looking to Christ, to not shrink back in faith. And so God's discipline for us 
is for our perseverance and our steadfastness. James chapter one, verses two to four says, count it all joy. You guys know this verse? Count it all joy when you endure trials of various kinds. So big and small, trials of various kinds, all kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, trials produce steadfastness, which, produce, which then brings us to the place of perfection. Lacking in nothing. But how do we count it all joy when we endure trials of various kinds? How do we count it joy? It's when we know that God is up to something in our trials. He's up to something in all of our troubles. God's discipline comes in at least three forms. God's discipline can be corrective, it can be preventative, and it can be educational. It can be corrective like God had to deal with his, the man after his own heart, King David. You guys know the story of David, right? He fell into sin. He took a woman that was not his wife. He got her pregnant, and God had to deal with him as his son and bring corrective discipline. God's discipline can also be preventative. I think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, this thorn in the flesh, whatever it happened to be, this thorn in the flesh, Paul says, was given to me to keep me from being conceited, to keep me from being puffed up. Discipline can prevent us from going off a cliff, shipwrecking our faith. That's what Paul experienced. And discipline can also be educational. I think of the whole saga with Job. God wasn't dealing with Job because of sin that he had committed and it doesn't seem like he was preventing, trying to prevent Job from going off a cliff and shipwrecking his faith, but it was educational. Job, at the end of all that happened, he said, God, I had heard of you at the hearing of my ears. Now my eyes have seen you and I repent in dust and ashes. Well, we come to this text and we're kind of in the home stretch of the book of Hebrews, right? The author wants to show these beleaguered, weary Christians tempted to shrink back that what they were experiencing, persecution and hardship, from God's perspective was his loving discipline of them. So let's jump in to our text. First, they were told to consider Christ in verse three, who, is, who in his work of bearing sin was treated with hatred and hostility. Consider him who was treated with hostility by the hands of sinful men. And the purpose of considering Christ in this way was so that they would not grow weary and faint-hearted. Consider him so that in your suffering you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. So we're to persevere and not give up. We are to endure and not shrink back in weariness. And then he says in their hardship they were, that their suffering, which he called, it's interesting, he calls their suffering a struggle against sin. I find that fascinating. Their struggle he called a struggle against sin. And in their struggle against sin, they had not yet shed blood. Now here's what he's saying. It could be worse. 
Christ shed blood. You have not yet shed blood in your struggle against sin. Nobody's been martyred yet. I wonder why he called it a struggle against sin, though. Their suffering, their hardship that they were going through, why did he refer to it as a struggle against sin? Well, I think the author is changing metaphors from an endurance race. Remember verses 1 and 2? Looking to this great cloud of witnesses or thinking about this great cloud of witnesses, looking to Christ, we run this race with endurance. It's like a marathon. He changes from using the metaphor of an endurance race to a contest, a wrestling match, a fight, a struggle with sin. In one sense, that describes much of the Christian life. It is certainly not the only way to describe the Christian life, but one way to describe the Christian life is a struggle against sin. Growing in godliness. We're going to get to this later. Sanctification. It's like the whole Christian life. From the moment you get born again to the moment you die or Christ comes, it's a process of becoming more like Christ. Putting off the old man. Having our minds renewed. Putting on the new man. And so in their suffering, it was a struggle against sin. And perhaps, in particular, the sin of unbelief. It was a fight. It was serious combat with unbelief. Now what's interesting, and for some problematic, is how the author then connects their present suffering at the hands of hostile men with God's faithful, loving discipline. This is what we have to see here. It's the point of this passage. In other words, the author wants them to see that what others are doing to you in sinful hostility, God is doing in fatherly discipline. There really were men who were hostile toward these Christians, causing them real harm, short of death, but real harm. But the author wants them to see through the hands of hostility and hate and see the hands of tender compassion and love from their Father in heaven. Lovingly disciplining them. Verses five to seven show us that the reason we can become weary and faint-hearted is that we forget God disciplines those he loves. He asks a question, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. And then he quotes from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary. Remember earlier how he says, consider Christ so that you don't become weary? Here he's saying, don't be weary when reproved by God. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord's discipline is not an isolated, obscure teaching in the Bible. God's discipline is a theme in the scriptures and when applied to his people, to his children, it is always, always, always seen as a good thing. Not a bad thing, ever. It's important to state clearly at this this point 
that we're talking about discipline, not wrath. Not God's wrath, but God's loving discipline. Not God's vengeance, but God's tender, loving, wise, faithful discipline. In the New Testament, wrath is never poured out on God's children. It is always reserved for those who are unbelieving, unrepentant, who reject Christ. The New Testament teaches that Christ extinguished the wrath of God for all who trust in him. There's an old hymn that says, talks about the the cup of God's wrath has been drank to the bottom by Christ for you and I. There's none left for God's children, but God does discipline and it's a good thing. Psalm 94, 12 says, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. Psalm 119.75 says, I know, O Lord, that your, righteous, you are, excuse me, your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In Revelation 3.19, the Lord Jesus himself, speaking to the church of Laodicea, the one that was being threatened of being vomited out of his mouth, With those strong words, after those strong words, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. We need to understand this. We we need to understand this and humbly receive this ministry from our Father. It's important to knowing who your God is and for living by faith when difficulty comes when suffering comes sooner or later because it will come at some point i remember hearing somebody once say if you haven't gone through severe difficulty it's just because you haven't lived long enough yet well our text gives us three reasons to endure hardship as god's loving discipline three reasons three reasons not two three reasons to endure hardship as God's loving discipline. I'm just going to mention them and then we're going to spend time on each one of them. First, divine discipline is from, is from a loving, faithful father who is treating you as a beloved son when he disciplines or as a beloved child when he disciplines. Second, divine discipline is for your sanctification and life. And third, divine discipline is so that you will bear more fruit. So let's, just, let's talk about each one of these and I want, I want you to see in the text where I'm getting these. I don't want you just to take my word for it because you might be tempted either to, to trust in me, which you shouldn't do, or just blow this off as just Josh's thoughts. No, these are, these are from the text. They're from God. So first reason why we should endure discipline as, excuse me, why we should do, endure hardship as God's loving discipline. First, Divine discipline is from a loving, faithful father. And he's treating you as his beloved child when he disciplines. Verses seven and eight, here's what it says. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. Discipline proves that you are a child of God. It is evidence that you belong to him. 
dads, we understand this. We love our children. And we discipline them because we love them. It proves we love them. In the ancient world, it was unthinkable that a good, faithful father could love his child and not discipline him or her. It was unthinkable. It was unimaginable that they would love their child and not discipline them. In modern times, of course, this is lost on many, but the Bible is clear. A faithful father will discipline the child he loves. And we see this all throughout, especially the Proverbs. We see it in the Proverbs many times. Proverbs 13, 24 is a good example. And just keep this in mind. God practices what he preaches to us. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. When we endure hardship as God's discipline, he is treating us as his dearly loved children. He is loving us in a precious way. But it actually goes further. It says if, there, if you are not disciplined, there's, there's something wrong with that. It's actually a bad sign. Verse 8 says this, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You get that? catch that? If you're not disciplined, take out that middle part. If you're not disciplined, it's because you're not an actual child of God. You're an Ill- illegitimate child and not a son. No discipline from God the Father. What does that mean? Well, it means you're not his child. He's not your father. You guys understand that? God is treating us like like children when he disciplines us. He's treating us like his dearly loved children. Now in the middle of the phrase, it says, in which all have participated. And I think it's just the author's way of saying all true children have and are disciplined by their heavenly father. You have been and you are. God sees to it to lovingly disciple and discipline his children. And in fact, a real son would draw out more discipline than an illegitimate son because of the responsibility and privilege that belonged to the true son, true child. Of course, the ultimate example of this is our Lord Jesus Christ, the supreme son, God's only begotten and eternal son. Do you guys know that he was Disciplined by his father, not because of sin. Listen to Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, speaking of Christ. It says, although he was a son, Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal life or eternal salvation to all who obey him. So the hardships and disciplines we walk through are signs of our legitimacy that we belong in God's house because he's faithful to take us, set us down, and discipline us. The second reason we should endure hardship as God's loving discipline is that divine discipline is for your sanctification, it's for my sanctification. Verses nine and 10 show us this clearly. It says, besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us 
and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? I, I realize some, maybe in here, you did not have a godly father discipline. You had a, you had a dad who was a tyrant or maybe not even there. That is not how God disciplines us. That is not how God disciplines his children. The author is saying that, that, that earthly fathers, by natural physical birth, who discipline their children lovingly, though imperfectly, but lovingly, they gained our respect and honor. I, I look and I, I know that some of you had dads who imperfectly but but faithfully disciplined you and you respected them for it you loved them for it at the time it wasn't fun but you loved them and you love them now for it so if we respected our biological dads who disciplined us shall we not much more be subject to god do you hear how the authors arguing from the lesser to the greater? The words much more. I mean, think, I loved my I loved my dad. I loved my dad. I love him. I miss him. He was far from perfect. But he was perfect for me. He was God's appointed man to raise me. And I praise God for him. And it was through his discipline that I knew he loved me. I remember a time, maybe like sophomore year, it was in the summer, and me and a buddy of mine, we got into a lot of trouble. And our dads were going to get a phone call. And I remember thinking, I was, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to face my dad. But I knew he loved me. My friend was terrified because his dad was brutal and abusive. We had a different response to our dads. I respected my dad. My friend was scared to death of his dad. The father of spirits, our eternal father by spiritual birth disciplines us so that we may know the fullness of life in the spirit. Do you guys see that in, this, in verse nine? How much more shall we be subject to the father of spirits and live? Live, truly live, abundant life in Christ through the loving disciplining of our Heavenly Father. The word live can mean to have a full and vigorous spiritual life. And the author connects it with our sanctification in verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, For they disciplined us, our earthly fathers, our biological dads disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. I love that phrase. That we may share his holiness. God wants us to share his holiness. It's a beautiful thing. If you are his child, God wants you to share the beauty of his holiness. Unfortunately, the word holiness is often thought synonymous with 
Things like being prudish and harsh and unloving and lifeless. But you don't get that from the Bible. Couldn't be further from the truth. To share in God's holiness is to be beautified from the inside out. It's to be given a beautiful heart from which you then live out the Christian life, Christ-likeness, becoming more like him. And one thing I see often shared, uh, well, sometimes shared, on Facebook, you know, happy birthday wishes or blessings is, usually it's to a female, makes sense. You're beautiful on the inside and out. And I think that's a great thing to say. But I wonder, those who say that, those who write that on someone's Facebook page or on their timeline, I wonder if they, what they mean by that. Because the only way we actually become beautiful on the inside is when we share in the holiness of God. Is when we share in his holiness. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 that we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful, evil desire. So to share in the holiness of God, it means to grow in Christ-likeness. It means that if you're a Christian, it's the very reason God chose you before the foundation of the world is that you become more loving, more gentle, Easily, easy, you, you easily forgive others. You overlook offenses. You, you watch what you speak with your mouth. You watch what's coming in because you realize it's going to affect your heart. All of these things, you become more and more beautified by the life of God in you. This is why God chose you. If you're a Christian before the foundation of the world, Romans 8, 29 says, he predestined us, which just means he chose us before the foundation of the world to become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so your experience of walking in the spirit is connected to your growth in holiness. Remember the Holy, remember the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. I think this also helps us to understand why the author was saying in verse 4 why he described their present situation as a struggle against sin. Why do we combat sin? It's for our sanctification and for our life. It's for the strength and joy of life in the Spirit. Paul points to this in Romans 8.13 when he says, if you live according to the flesh, you know what he says? You will die. But, flesh meaning sinful nature, but if, you, if by the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. You will live. Truly live. Here in Hebrews 12, just a few verses later, verse 14, we are told what's at stake. And it's this, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
In other words, no, holiness, no growth in holiness, no sanctification, no salvation. Right? And so God disciplines us for our sanctification to cause us to grow in holiness, to partake in God's holiness. Paul sums up the will of God for the will of God for the Christian in 1 Thessalonians 4:3 this way. He says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And so we want to endure the difficulties in life as the loving faithful discipline of our heavenly Father. It is for our sanctifications for our life. It's for our good. And finally, the third reason we endure hardship as God's loving, faithful discipline is so that we can bear more fruit, so that we can be more fruitful in the Christian life, so that we can bear more fruit for God's glory. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. We've already covered this, right? Every kid understands that. Discipline's not pleasant in the moment, It's painful, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When I asked the kids if they enjoyed discipline while they were being disciplined, no one raised their hands. And I understand because I've been disciplined before as well by my dad. And the reason why is because discipline is painful in the moment. The second part of verse 11 is so important though. It says this, but later. Now it's painful, but later it produces something. The New American Standard puts it this way, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Not joyful, but sorrowful. So I, one thing I hope you're not hearing today is that if you're going through something hard, you just need to put a chipper smile on your faith, face and act like everything's great. That's, that's not. That's not authentic Christianity at all. We live our lives in Christ with Joy that is inexpressible and full of glory and tears. And often at the same time. A true joy, a real joy, a lasting joy. Hope that cannot be taken away. Hope that endures. We sang about it. And tears. Bitter tears. So, the faithful Loving discipline of the Father is painful and sorrowful, not joyful and pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Later comes the harvest, the fruit. It's a farming metaphor, right? You you sow a seed and it doesn't pop up immediately. Only Only a really young child, right? thinks that they're going to put a seed in the ground or in a little cup, you know, if you're doing an experiment at home with your kids or something, and they're going to watch the plant grow up right before their eyes. That's not the way that it works. Later, 
the farming metaphor, I think, is very helpful because it shows that the, the fruit is sure to come, but it comes later. It comes later, sometimes much later than we want. But we should not doubt it for a second. The Father's good intention in your discipline and in mine is to make you and I bear much fruit. That's his intention. Jesus teaches us this in John 15 when he said, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, right? He cuts it off, takes it away, throws it into the fire. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The vine dresser is the one who tends the vine. The father is the vine dresser. I often think, when I read this passage, I often think if a vine could speak, when it's being pruned, it would say, ouch, that hurts. It's painful. And yet, the father is faithful to prune so that the branches, the true branches, that have life may bear more fruit. Notice the, the fruit in verse 11 is described as the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So it is righteous fruit which is described with the adjective peaceful. It's peaceful, the peaceful fruit of righteousness which comes later after the painful, sorrowful discipline. Charles Spurgeon expounds on this truth in a way that only he can. I often read a Spurgeon sermon. If I'm going to preach on a passage, I'll see if Charles Spurgeon preached on it during his ministry. And um, he was in the 1800s. He's called the Prince of Preachers. And when I read his sermons, I often get some great stuff that I incorporate into mine. I share with, with quotes with you. But I often feel like, oh my goodness. How can I go and preach a message to these people when, anyways, all right. Here's what he said, Charles Spurgeon. He says, none so happy as tried Christians afterwards, after they've been tried. No calm more deep than that which comes after a storm. There is a lull in the atmosphere after the hurricane which is not known at other times. Who has not seen clear shinings after the rain. God gives sweet banquets to his children after the battle. It is after the rod that he gives the honeycomb. After climbing the hill difficulty, we sit down in the arbor to rest. After passing through the wilderness, we come to the house beautiful. After we have gone down the valley of humiliation, after we have fought with Apollyon, the shining ones appear to us and give us the branch which heals us. Those are references to Pilgrim's Progress, some of those. It is always afterwards for the Christian. He, he has his best things last. The peaceful fruit of righteousness comes after. After. It's painful in the moment, but afterwards it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we're to endure hardship as the loving, faithful discipline of our Father in heaven 
so that we may bear more fruit. Well, our passage gives us two responses to this message of God's loving, patient discipline of his children. One response is to be oblivious and forgetful. The other is to allow it to train us. One is to be oblivious and, and, and just forgetful, right? To get no benefit from it at all. Now today I've reminded you of it. But some might walk out of here today and give no thought to it again. Maybe because it's not one of those just light and fluffy messages. This is kind of like, okay. But don't forget. I urge you not to forget. Because forgetfulness eventually leads to hard hearts and stiff necks. In the Old Testament, do you know what often started the Jewish people down the road to idolatry and eventually God's judgment? It was forgetting. It was just forgetting. Psalm 78, read Psalm 78 today. It's it's an amazing psalm. And one thing that it teaches us as parents to do, and anyone who's older who sees themselves as a spiritual leader in some capacity, is we need to remind each other of the truths of the gospel because the Jewish saga is one of them forgetting over and over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter, I think it's six through eight, God says, when you come into the land that you, and, and you live in houses you didn't build and you drink from cisterns you didn't dig, don't forget who gave this to you. They did, over and over again. The book of Judges, over and over and over again, it's this, it's this vicious cycle of God blessing the people, of God bringing them, delivering them from their enemies, and then this phrase, they forgot the Lord their God. And they would fall into the hands of their enemies and they would cry out to God for help and God would send a judge to help them and this cycle happened over and over and over again. They didn't remember and then they drifted away from God. Earlier in the book of Hebrews we saw this. If you hear the voice of the Lord today, don't harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. So I read it again, verse five. Listen to this. From your father, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Don't forget this. The other option today is you can allow God's discipline to train you. Verse 11. Verse 11 says that... Um, Discipline produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We just talked about that. But it says this, to those who have been trained by it. God's loving, kind, 
fatherly, wise discipline produces this fruit in our lives, and fruit in the lives of certain people, those who've been trained by his discipline. The word trained means to exercise vigorously like in athletics. What happens when you engage in vigorous exercise over time? You get tired, yes, but you, you gain endurance. You become strong. <laughs> you become strong. <laughs> I've been, Olivia and I have been jogging in the evenings and I have realized how out of shape I am physically. Oh my goodness. I have a hard time keeping up with her the first half. Usually we kind of take a break in the middle. <laughs> we walk for a bit, which I need more than she does. Um... God's discipline is to make us steadfast, persevering. To be trained by it means to be exercised by it, to be vigorously exercised by it so that we are strong. Remember verses one and two. Therefore, laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus. Run with endurance. We look to Christ We look to Christ who extinguished the wrath of God on our behalf. And through Christ, we see the the, the smile of our Father in heaven who knows exactly what we need and he's faithful to discipline us so that we may run with endurance. For some here today, and I know the last year or two has been like hell but you see how some go through hardship and they come out strong. And some of you have. And you see some go through hardship and they fall apart. Some of you have come through hardship strong and it's no coincidence at all. It's not an accident. You have been trained by it. Praise God. He's at work in it. Training, giving you strength. No doubt other people can do horrible things to us. Circumstances can seem to be completely out of control, certainly out of our control. Devastating news can come out of nowhere and blindside us. We can experience nagging, ongoing thorns that just seem to not go away. And yet, in all of these things, can we by faith see through them and see the loving hand of our faithful Father treating us like dearly loved children, making us like his son, our big brother Jesus, and causing us to bear fruit for his glory. Let's allow the Father to train us through his loving discipline of us. Let's, 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 by faith, look to our Father who's giving us endurance, training us through the challenges and difficulties we face. Amen? Let's pray. Father.